It's one small step for farming, one giant leap for farm kind. Yes, we're out of this world on the programme this week. After last week's discussion with flower growers questioning the use of robotics, we're at an event at the National Space Centre finding out how robots can make a positive difference to agriculture. So the cost-benefit is very, very strong. So we're going to see quite a commercial drive for robotics, not just replacing labour, it's, it's really really doing jobs where farms can't get labour. Robots tend to be good at, at doing repetitive, dull tasks mm. that humans get bored with. Robots are not so good at dealing with the unexpected. Plus, we've our monthly catch-up with Nick Morris at British Sugar, hoping for rain, I think. Well, it, it is a bank holiday weekend. Guaranteed, yeah, a few you've got your uh, holiday booked at the seaside you can guarantee it'll be wet (laughs) the week in agriculture this is the farming program with sean dunderdale hello on wednesday leicester's national space center hosted the farmers weekly arable horizons event it was a timely discussion centering on robotics given we touched on the issue on last week's program andrew ward was at the event okay we've just um listened had an extremely interesting evening at arable horizons with farmers weekly and i'm with two guys from lincoln university professor tom duckett uh, who's uh, director of lincoln centre for autonomous systems and also professor simon pearson who's the founder director of the institute of agri-food at the university so guys just if i could just um, look at the technology going forward and robotics in agriculture if tom would first come to you um obviously we've got some big developments coming along and do you think robots have got a place coming forward into agriculture and how much of a, a future have they got Absolutely. I think robots could be really, really crucial in the future. We, we're going to uh, need to produce more with less. We're going to need to put less inputs into, into agricultural production. I think robots have a, have a ro- role as being uh, low energy solutions. Yeah. Um, and what about, look, we've seen earlier on this evening, you're looking at robots and uh, genetics and plant growing uh, plants and actually breeding certain varieties and different Uh, plants with different growth habitats to make them more uh, user-friendly for robotics. How many years away do you think that is? Yeah, well, yeah, three to four years for sure. That is all? Yeah, well, the the number of uh, companies have already started breeding lines uh, which are effectively robot-ready. So Seminis, for example, on broccoli, they've been doing that for 10 or 12 years. They've started to look at that? They've already started. So, 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 So the development train's already there. And uh, we've just got to prove those varieties now, make sure they're as good as the commercial varieties, and then, and then we can then match them to the robots. So are we saying then at the minute you think the robotics and the autonomous systems have more of a future in, in vegetable uh, farming, if you like, than we have in, in mainstream arable farming? Uh, I think that'll be the first point where they come in because of the, uh, the replacing labour. or uh, uh, so, so the cost benefit is very, very strong. Uh, so we're going to see quite a commercial drive for robotics, not just replacing labour, it's, it's really really doing jobs where farms can't get labour. So yeah. if Brexit happens and there's a reduction in the migrant labour force, then we, we will need some, some solutions. One of those solutions may well be robotics. Hmm. So, so, uh, so, so it'll come fast. Uh, so I think we'll see it first coming into produce lines, and then it will then come into more arable crops. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, I mean, there are... The exception there is, is robotic weeding, so robotic hoes are already in place. Mm. You can go out and buy them now, Garford or where, wherever. So, 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 so we're starting to see penetration in, in arable, but I think the big commercial drive will be in produce. 
And what do you think about in the, in the past? Uh, we've obviously lost lots of um, uh, we've lost lots of um, technology. We've lost certain uh, active ingredients because, uh, like aerial spraying, was banned years ago because it, it wasn't safe. Do you think things like this with robotics could come back because we can precisely apply various uh, uh, products? Yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. Uh, I mean, wh- where, where we're targeting is solutions where you don't need pesticides. So, mm. so a robotic hose, it's a mechanical hose steered by a very accurate camera system. Mm. So, so that's, that's, that's the way that we're looking at it. But then all options are on the table, aren't they? Yeah, so, yeah, so, right. so with more precision... Mm. Uh, uh, we can do more things. It's interesting as well, Tom. You said earlier, I've got a statistic here you mentioned. You said 65% of today's students will work in jobs that currently don't exist. In, in, in what sort of form do you think that is? Um, well, I, th- I think there's a historical precedent for this. So in, I, I read somewhere that in 1900, um, 40% of the workforce in, in countries like the UK were employed in agriculture. And now, now it's less than 1%. Yeah. So where did those jobs go? Well, well, actually, we have more, more employment now than we did then. Mm. Um, those people are now doing uh, yeah, a, a whole suite of jobs that simply didn't exist in the past. And, uh, and, and were you saying as well, you're, I remember you saying earlier this evening, that robotics won't replace um, humans as such, but they'll make humans work or help humans to work more efficiently? Absolutely, and I think that's because robots and humans are good at different things. Um, so robots tend to be good at, at doing repetitive, dull tasks mm. that humans get bored with. Humans get sick from doing because because they're they're hard, heavy, heavy labour. I think, um, but on the other hand, uh, robots are not so good at dealing with the unexpected. So I think you're always, there's always, well, at least for the foreseeable future, there's going to be a role for, for a human in the loop, for, for humans to work together with robots. So I think you'll see um, ro- uh, robots as co-workers, and you'll see, perhaps the, the role of the farmer in future will be more like a, a, a shepherd with a flock of robots. Yeah. Um, so I think this will also upskill the, the agricultural workers. Um, I, I think robots and humans are... are, are yeah, will exist together, and I think robotic technologies will complement. And you'll, they'll work side by side, you think, and each one will complement each other. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just just looking um, at sort of the, the future going forwards, my father, one of the things my father has always said to me is that he doesn't think we'll ever see as many changes in farming as what he's seen in the last 30 years or 40 years. Obviously, he used to plough uh, with horses, and we haven't ploughed at home since 2002, as a lot of listeners will know. Um, do you think we'll see as many changes or more changes Simon going forward oh I think more I mean the rate of technology just in general industry is just phenomenal and particularly on digital technology mm. so so I, I think we're in an unprecedented period of change uh, uh, underpinned by a whole suite of digital technologies and uh, but uh, you know if you, uh, I like the analogy with a horse you know if you, if you think of how agriculture evolved it started with an ox moved to a horse moved to a tractor it's now moving to a robot. Yeah. So we don't know what that future is going to look like, but it's going to be very different from what it is today. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, yeah. And and going forward, um, Tom, do you think uh, how many years are we going to be looking at having driverless tractors? How many years do you think we're going to see those working on farms? Well, in, in some senses, I think you have. There are some technologies which are ready now. There are there are some um, GPS steered guided tractors. Um, I think 
there'll be a gradual gradual introduction of, of more technologies based on that. I think um, the, the, the next generation of robotic systems will be uh, based on existing agricultural machineries. Uh, we'll see existing tractors, existing vehicles like sprayers and so on being retrofitted with sensors and things um, to, to make them more productive. But I think for the future then we'll start to see um, robots coming to the fore. I think we'll see um, general purpose robots that are able to do a multitude of jobs on the farm just like you have the multi-purpose tractor now mm, so, yeah. so i think the future looks quite exciting yeah. professors tom duckett and simon pearson chatting there with andrew ward at that space center event on wednesday back to earth then uh, with a bump literally it's time for our weekly agronomy with sean sparling and uh, it's a bank holiday weekend sean so uh, <clears throat> yes Raincoat on me, thinks. Yeah, morning short. You joke, but actually, many a true word and all that. So, we will start with the weather, as you so rightly say. Drop of rain, very, very welcome rain. Desperately needed rain, actually, as I think we're all quite happy to admit. Um, but it's been a very funny old week since we spoke last because we've had high winds, which has stopped us doing any top dressing or spraying, and we've had frost by night, which has put us off spraying, even if we could have gone. So, what this rain will have done, whether you've got 2 mil or 15 mil, it will have reactivated the residual herbicide layer that you've put down whether that be in peas or beans spring barley spring wheat whether that be in sugar beet we might as well start with beet because the metamitron will start to pick up the pansies and the knotgrass which have started to get away from us a little bit the ethafumosate will start to pick up the cleavers and the nettles and the medagrass and the chickweed so all of these things will reactivate and the reason the beet is through the ground and the weeds aren't because they're pretty clean these fields at the moment is because you've drilled your sugar beet into moisture the weeds are in that top inch and a half or so which is completely dried to snuff so the beet has got a slight head start the problem you've now got is the weeds are going to grow like bilio. So you're going to need to be on top of that. You need to have a plan in place. You need to get your herbicide in the shed ready to go and treat each field individually. Don't just blank it because you're thinking, well, it's the 1st of May. We ought to be out. We were this time last year. You can't do it like that. You have to look at each individual field on its merits. And also remember that every time you put a tank mix of uh, herbicide on sugar beet, you're putting a concoction and a cocktail of wetters and surfactants and penetrants all of those are already in those herbicides in the formulation so when you add another one like a mineral oil you're making the problem of scorch magnified and particularly with the stress we've got and now the period of rapid growth we're going to go into the propensity for crop damage is very high so make sure you know what you're doing make sure your agronomist is happy with what you're doing and make sure the beet is big enough to stand the mixes that you putting on um, in general sugar beet looks okay there's a bit of mouse damage and actually before that rain came on the sandy land i've got some which has been cut off at ground level because the wind's blown the sand and absolutely shot blasted so there will be some re-drilling going on of sugar beet skylarks as well right on top of the world skylarks are causing massive problems because the beet hasn't been quick enough growing to grow away from it peas and beans you can start to see now that the herbicides that have been laid down are picking up the weeds there's a lot of pea and bean weevil about still don't let that get in front of you hopefully now the peas and beans will run away from that damage but 
make sure you're in front of it and you know where your problems are. Winter wheat, winter barley, winter wheat, T1's virtually complete now. This is perfect yellow rust weather. Cool and moist is perfect for rust, but don't let your guard down on the septoria. For goodness sake, make sure if you haven't done your T1 yet, there's chlorothalonil, there's a multi-site inhibitor in there, a good robust dose of a decent triazole and a good robust dose of SDHI. That septoria will move up the canopy rapidly if we get any more of these spells of wet weather and they're very lush crops. Main dose of nitrogen going on a lot of wheat fields now. Winter barley saw my first awns poking out of the field the other day. So if you were planning to put ethophon on or turpal on high vedo type hybrid varieties or thick lush varieties in the field you need to make sure you're okay and still within the bounds of those growth stages so speak to your agronomist about that potatoes um, nicely going in the ground actually haven't got any through yet but actually seed beds are pretty good where we managed to get them um, initially set off and started they are very very good nice gone down really fine herbicides going on as we speak and linseed a little bit of flea beetle in linseed you need to just be aware of that um, they're coming through the ground well but the flea beetle are about and they are hitting them um, oilseed rape main petal fall sprays going on now when you get to 15 20 pod set you need to put a fungicide on to protect those flowers so that when they fall and stick on the stem they don't allow the gray mold and botrytis through which allows the sclerotinia in and it's a very high count year i understand for sclerotinia so for goodness sake make sure you're covering that if you're going out and spraying your old seed rate also take the opportunity to top up the manganese and the magnesium levels in these fields because the drought has meant that they are pulling manganese and magnesium away and putting it into the flowers so just feed that as well um, and i don't think in my patch anyway i look after nearly five thousand acres of uh, oil seed rate i haven't put any insecticide in and i have no intention of doing i can't find any seed weevil if you've got one seed weevil for a plant or two seed weevil on two racemes you need to deal with that and i haven't found anything even remotely resembling threshold so there's no point to do that they are a pest in their own right they burrow holes into the pods and it's those holes which allow the pod midge to lay their eggs into the pods and that's when you get bladder pod but as things stand at the moment i don't think there's any panic on seed weevil and certainly with the wind cool weather it's going to drive those seed weevil down anyway so hopefully we can get away without an insecticide apart from that it's nice and damp it looks like we're moving into may um i think you could say april went out like a lion because it didn't half come in like a lamb um but we get what we get and there's nothing we can do my grandfather used to say you can't moan dry wet and you can't moan wet dry very wise words sean i think sean sparling sparling agronomy services Drilling of sugar beet is almost at an end, weather permitting. So uh, let's get the latest from our man at British Sugar, Nick Morris. Yeah, things uh, going going really well. I think there's the first uh, first report since campaign, and uh, actually been over about the last six weeks. We've been sowing the new crop, of course. So it was quite a slow start into this season's drilling season. The first couple of weeks of March were very wet. In fact, we recorded nearly 50 millimetres of rain at Newark. So we did get off to a slow start, but once we were going, it was fairly uninterrupted, and we all uh, remember enjoying some relatively nice weather over the over the Easter period. And by uh, the end of this week, we should just about complete all of the drilling within our factory area. So we're, we're sowing something like 27,000 hectares, so in, in sort of a six-week period, that's uh, r- relatively good progress. And I would imagine that the uh, we'll have to get the data back from the growers, but the average drilling date should hopefully be around two weeks earlier than than last year. So it'd be somewhere around the 
um, the mid twenties of March. I'm I'm expecting. So, drilling, however, has been quite challenging as uh, time has progressed. Due to the lack of rain, uh, it's been very, very dry. Seabeds have become cloddy on the more medium to well-bodied uh, land, so it's been really quite challenging to break those clods down into a, into a tilth. We've got come through yet another winter of uh, very, very little winter weather, and it's that winter weather that normally affords us some free cultivations and provides that frost mould and tilth for us to sow into. And we really haven't seen that... Um, for yet probably the third or fourth winter in a row so it's certainly left us uh, a little bit more to do with uh, the machines and uh, and certainly uh, perhaps using a little bit more diesel just to try and get that seabed we want but uh, overall establishment uh, will be affected to a degree in some of those fields but the fields that are um, germinated and emerged already look very very good and I was out on Tuesday this week doing a number of plant population uh, checks and, and seeing how well the crop's performing and we've got plant populations over 100,000 plants a hectare which is the ultimate target in, in most of the fields I was looking at so that was really encouraging. It'd be the later drilled fields where that might be slightly slightly compromised. Now these fields are emerging and um, as soon as you can see them uh, up in a row it is time to get that second nitrogen on. So all the remaining nitrogen required for the crop should be applied as soon as the crop has emerged. So that will be literally now for for a lot of growers. So uh, uh, encourage growers really to get out into the field and just see how far emergence is progressing. Pre-emergence herbicides are quite widely used um, nowadays and are generally really, really effective. They are, however, less effective in a dry season. So, unfortunately, this year we probably will see slightly less value for the money invested in pre-emergence herbicides because it's uh, just a little bit too dry and very active on the weeds. Uh, and also, in the cloddier seedbed conditions, they're less effective. So, probably not best to uh, delay the first um, post-emergence herbicide. So, again, that is likely to be due any time now. It's been slightly challenging... Some degree of caution is always required around herbicides where you have very cold nights and warm days because the differential uh, stresses the plant and uh, herbicides can be slightly more detrimental at checking the crop. So a little bit of care and caution required around those uh, first post-emergent sprays. Um, Really one of the main things to be mindful of is daytime temperatures where they're high. Reducing the rate of oil is really important or uh, if it's over 21 degrees not including at all. Um, on, on from there, um, we're hoping uh, we are seeing a little bit of warmer weather and uh, rain forecasts. So that hopefully the crop will uh, really get away now and uh, uh, get get established. And I think we've had generally a very good start to the season. Nick Morris from British Sugar. Now, a month or so ago, you might remember Tesco stopped selling Silver Spoon, the only sugar that is British sugar, after a change in supplier. Well, this week, the store in Bury St Edmunds, which is actually on the other side of the road from where Silver Spoon sugar is bagged up at the factory in Bury, has now started selling the product again. Now, it's unclear whether this is a change of heart for that one store, given its connection to Silver Spoon, or whether other Tesco's will soon follow suit one to watch i'm sure right on to grain then it's uh, tom miller from open field with the weekly reports this week uh, bank holiday weekend so uh, a quiet one tom hopefully but it's always nice to have three days away from the office for some yeah it's all right for <laughs> well, some <quite. laughs> so what's what's been happening 
Uh, well, really, uh, old crop prices remain underpinned by the tight UK S&D, which we've talked about uh, quite a bit, um, but capped by the proximity to imported wheat and maize prices, which we've also mentioned in the past. Um, fresh export business has slowed out of the UK to a trickle, um, although the latest stats indicate that 1.3 million tonnes will have left the UK by the end of March. Um, the timing of harvest and availability of other grains and origins uh, will be key, as on paper at least the UK will be going into harvest uh, on bare boards. Uh, that is if the numbers and the stats are correct, which will remain to be seen and we probably won't know until after harvest anyway. Um, so new crop uh, UK prices have garnered strength from the tight old crop scenario. Uh, early cuts of wheat will likely find willing buyers because we'll be short. Well, not short, but we'll be tight on supply. Um, the key to UK price evolution will be the size and the quality of the harvest. As an average yield will leave the UK with a smaller exportable surface without the buffer of a large carry-in, which we enjoyed in the 16-17 crop from the previous year. Um which will not need to be sold early doors um, as the demand will be there. Um, alternatively, should yields replicate the record set in 2015-16, uh, the market will need to realign itself to reflect the export parity. Expectations are that production prospects globally will not match the 16-17 record on wheat and coarse grain crops, uh, but stocks built up over recent years are sufficient buffering, um, barring a disaster in one or more major exporting countries. Um, the first view of the global S&D will be in May uh, when the USDA report comes out. Uh, so weather is generally benign, although dryness in parts of Europe, rains in Argentina, late plantings in the US and Canada of maize and spring wheat. Uh, and of course, El Nino will be talked about for concerns for the late summer and early fall are all issues uh, that need monitoring and uh, looking at. So as we've also talked about many times before recently, politics uh, and the impact of currency movements will remain key. Uh, with elections coming up, obviously, in France very shortly, uh, Italy, Germany, and now in the press and unexpectedly the UK, making sure that the fundamentals are not only consideration when marketing trading decisions. Um, so UK prices benefited from the sterling weakness post-Brexit, which cannot really be relied upon going forward. Um, with so much uncertainty, both politically and economically, uh, many have priced a good percentage of their new crop going forward at current prices or thereabouts, which is probably a prudent move. So looking at the UK prices, uh, May feed wheat is 142 to 144x, July 145 to 147, uh, new crop November is 133 to 135, uh, nearby milling premiums remain poor at a few pounds over feed. Feed barley is worth 118 to 120x for May. New crop feed barley values are trading at similar discounts to this season on ideas of a larger exportable surplus with a finite demand domestically here in the UK. Uh, which will have to compete with other origins on the international market. So harvest is worth 102 to 103x and November 110 to 112. Allseed rate markets have been quiet this week, drifting lower on stronger currency and lower matif. A record Canadian canola areas forecast for the coming season, uh, although with consideration uh, with conditions cold, it might not be conducive to good planting progress, and it remains to be seen how much makes it to harvest. U.S. plantings have started and all markets will, well, markets will be watching the progress of corn plantings to start with as any area not planted with corn uh, could be switched into beans. Strategy grains have reduced their forecast for EU oilseed rape production on dry and cold weather over the mainland. Uh, so old crop rape in the UK is worth 330x for May. Uh, new crop harvest circa 290x farm with a £10 carry through to November. 
Feed bean market is firm as the trade continues to cover short positions, uh, little offered from the farmer and the middle markets. Um, there is some interest for human consumption springs towards the end of the season, however quality is the biggest factor. And given the small premiums, interest on the sell side will be limited. Feed beans are worth 165 to 170x for May June. Human consumption quality circa five to eight pounds over feed. New crop is thinly traded. Values put at mid 150s x farm basis November. Tom Miller from Open Field. Now we've spoken before about the issue of dog attacks on sheep, and of course, with so many lambs now in the field, the threat is ever present. Well, the National Sheep Association has developed a new idea, which has been called Pester Power in the classrooms. The association's teamed up with the group FACE, that's Farming and Countryside Education, to promote responsible dog ownership to children in the hope they will pass it on to their parents. It's hoped schools across the country will use the information packs that are being produced in their syllabus from September. It looks at not just sheep worrying and dog attacks, but sheep farming in general, and indeed the role of sheep in the countryside and our food chain. The materials are also available for you if you're a sheep farmer and asked to go into a school to give a talk. You'll be able to find out more details on the FACE website. Interestingly, there's also talk of a possible merger between Face and Leaf, the group that, of course, plays a huge role in the Open Farm Sunday initiative, among many other ideas. It'll be uh, interesting to see what comes from that proposal, and one, no doubt, we will return to here on the Farming Programme. For now, though, let's turn our attention to the weather for the week ahead. A wet bank holiday? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, a mixed bank holiday, it's uh, fair to say. Today, for example, possibility of a shab. Many places staying dry. 14 Celsius the high. The wind from the east-southeast, 25 to 30 miles an hour. It does look like some heavy rain on the cards overnight tonight. Uh, with lows of about 8 Celsius. The wind more from the south, 10 to 20 miles an hour. And then tomorrow, it does look like being a rather damp day, I'm afraid. The possibility of some rain on and off. Highs, about 14 Celsius. The wind more from the west at 10 miles an hour. Monday into Tuesday, clearer skies. Temperatures a little bit cooler, 5 Celsius. The wind from the north at about 10 miles an hour. And then sunny spells to start Tuesday, but a few showers possible as well. 13 Celsius the high. The wind from the northwest at 15 miles an hour. Staying cloudy overnight, Monday into Tuesday, lows of 5 Celsius. The wind from the north-northeast, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then it looks like a, a sunny middle of the week. Wednesday, plenty of sunshine, 14 Celsius the high. The wind from the east-northeast at about 15 miles an hour. And then for the latter end of the week, well, there is the possibility of a little bit more cloud. Still some sunny spells, though. Showers as well. We're looking at highs, maybe 9 or 10 Celsius, so a little cooler. Lows overnight of generally 4 or 5 degrees. That's the forecast and another week in the world of agriculture. Next Sunday, we're going to look some more at the technology that is now available for use on our farms with the do's and don'ts of using drones on the land. That's next week. Until then, have a good week's farming.